0: Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth, boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, uh, brother, it's good to see you again this week. Uh, we've got a, a different kind of topic today.
1: We do. We do. This is, um, for some, I think this is going to be a very straightforward topic. For some, this is going to be challenging. And some, for some, this is going to be just downright infuriating. And and this is the topic of prophets and apostles. Are they for today?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting topic. I think um, when I was thinking about this uh, just before, I thought, you know, myself having come out of this movement um, I I find myself a bit bewildered at how I I, I must just say ignorant our circles are of how much of this is um, Im- impacting people even within you know our circles in the church um, and, and I I might be a little sensitive to extra sensitive to it when I hear it but I often hear people in um, healthy church circles you know in in reformed Calvinistic circles. Uh, people sitting in the pews who they've read this prophetic book, or they've listened yeah. to, th- th- you know, this guy who's doing a teaching, and I happen to know he's from Bethel, right, in Redding, California, mm-hmm. or whatever. And I think, man, it, sometimes in our circles, I think we're uh, we we have the illusion that we're super guarded against all that stuff, mm-hmm. um, and so it can creep in in maybe more subtle ways. I don't think most of our people would get taken in by, um, you know, flat out. Uh, Prophecy, as it were, um, but this the, the the charismatic theology comes in a lot of different ways. Um, so why are we talking about this? Well, y- you suggested it because uh, I was having uh, some difficulty coming up with topics. Uh, I get like that every now and then. You know, we think, well, we've had eighty episodes, we've covered everything there is to cover. What do we do? But um, uh, but it's a good topic, it, and I, I want to pull up some statistics for the guys that are like, ah, mm, uh, should I keep listening to this? or or not um this is why it matters uh, for everyone um and this is an old uh stat by the way from 2011 2011 half a billion charismatics more than double uh the the evangelical church um currently and and you could look up the stats i didn't have time to pull them up this morning it is the fastest growing part of quote-unquote christianity in the world um and I think in America, we've seen it devastate the scene over the last two or the three years. Um, I mean, it's made uh, New York Times articles. and It's been in the Washington Post. And, of course, we had Paula White in the White House, and we'll probably get yeah. to that, too. Um, right. And so it's actually no small matter, because if it's not in our church, uh, people are still being exposed to it and forced to ask the question, well, are there prophets today? I mean, are, are mm-hmm. there apostles today? What do we do when my aunt says she had a dream from God? Uh, What do I do when the lady in the White House, who's the quote unquote spiritual advisor, says, I heard the Lord say, Um, what do we do with those kind of things?
1: Yeah, and I've um, I brought it up because um, I know that there's a lot of people that have read books, just as you mentioned, books that claim to be prophetic, uh, books from people that claim to be um, prophets. And there are not just prophets, but there are apostles. We know about the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation Movement, a very, very dangerous movement, um, a lot of heretical teaching coming out of those circles. Um, but those are people that call themselves modern-day apostles. And I think most people who would call themselves Christians understand that there is authority tied to that title of being a prophet or, and especially an apostle. And so people can get easily roped in to thinking that a person is a true representative of God and that they must listen to that person. They must read their writings. And especially now with, um, you know, with everything that's going on around the world. And there's really almost this just infatuation uh, with uh, with prophecy, um, you know, are the end times upon us? Is revelation being fulfilled before us? And there is no shortage right now of opinions being weighed in on that. Many of them th- believing that the end times are upon us. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. That's probably a discussion for another time. Uh, but w- with so many people wondering if the end times are upon us, I think a lot of people, especially those who don't have as much experience um, or knowledge of the scriptures are being deceived and and led astray by people claiming to be apostles and mm-hmm. prophets thinking that they need to follow them and, and listen to their teaching even uh, above and and beyond not just in addition to what they hear from their own pastor at their church
0: yeah absolutely and and let's just say at the forefront it's a legitimate question right to ask are yeah. are prophets for today, right? Are there apostles today? Are there prophets today? That is a perfectly legitimate question. So if you're asking that question, um, that's fine. It, it, it's good. Everyone yeah. should be asking that question at some stage in their Christian walk, hopefully earlier rather than later, and, and then discover what the Bible says about that topic. So let's just define some of those things. So if someone were to come to you and say, well, you know, Eki, this guy says he's a prophet, he's given prophecies. What what exactly is a prophet? What What does that mean?
1: Yeah, a prophet, going back to the Old Testament, that's, that's a spokesperson from God. That's someone that God has chosen um, to speak to um, his people or, or possibly people who are not his people to bring about the revelation of God um, to them, uh, to reveal God's word to them, often to bring them to repentance, to provide instructions, commandments, or prophecies um, about the future. But it's essentially a spokesperson from God. Now, here's the thing. Anyone can claim to be a spokesperson of, uh, of God and we can look into our history and we've seen that there's been a lot of false prophets. Um, I, I grew up remembering the stories about Jim Jones and, and there was, um, David Koresh, right? So we, we know that there are very clear examples, uh, of those who claim to be, um, a prophets, sometimes claim to be the Messiah and uh, clearly they were not so. And the question is, how do we distinguish between who is true and who is false? And fortunately, the, you quite clear about that. When someone claims to be a prophet, um, you can just go back to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 18 first gives us the prophecy of the prophet that was going to come in the future. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, let me turn right there. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, this is um the, the Lord speaking to Moses. And if you remember from the book of Exodus, and I know many of you in your Bible reading plans, you're going through Exodus right now. If you go through the book of Exodus, you remember that when they when the Israelites were at Mount Sinai, they were in fear at the sight of god as he was descending upon the mountain and the ten commandments were being thundered from up on high and right after that tenth commandment um it said that they were in extreme fear they were they were shaking and trembling and they were saying to moses you speak to us let not god speak to us or else we die and then in deuteronomy 18 18 the lord picks up on that reaction And he says in verse 18, I will raise up a prophet uh, from their countrymen. And actually, even before then, let me start earlier from verse 15. It says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from, a, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. That's Deuteronomy 18, 16. And then Lord. Then, going on to verse 17, the Lord said to me, they have spoken well, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. So, this is a prophet like Moses, but the idea even greater than Moses. And I will put my words in his mouth, he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. And we know that by the time you get to the Old Testament, the Jews understood that this prophet had not arrived yet. And that's why when John the Baptist shows up, one of the first questions that they ask him is not only are you the Christ? And he says, No, are you the prophet? And this is what they have idea, this is what they're thinking of this, this prophet promised from Moses. But then he goes on in verse 20 to say this. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously, in other words, they they assume they're speaking for me, but they're not. Uh, they speak a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods that prophet shall die. You, will, you may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? And here it is, verse 22, here's the litmus test. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you shall not be afraid of him. So, we understand that there is no perfect man. We understand that there is no one who doesn't make mistakes or speaks everything perfectly. But in terms of someone who's called to be a prophet, if they're giving revelation from God, guess what? It's going to be perfect. Um, That is a chosen prophet of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, giving prophecy to the people, and it will be perfect. And that is the standard here. And we have seen several examples, haven't we, of prophets that spoke something that wasn't true? Oh,
0: yeah. And, And this is fundamental to understanding prophets and prophecies, and, and, and that fundamental part is, firstly, I think understanding that a prophet, again, is speaking the words of God. This is, thus saith the Lord. There has never been a prophet that does not fit in that category. No. Um, and so, there's no such thing as, well, I just think, or it might be, or it could be, or what I perceive, or what I feel, Right. By definition, someone that is giving a prophecy or a prophetic word, as is used in the charismatic church, or is claiming to be a prophet is literally claiming to be speaking the very absolute, authoritative, guaranteed words of God. Hmm. Just knowing that would eliminate a whole lot of issues in, in the church, right? Because God cannot be wrong. Right. Right. Uh, and, and so we get to this passage in 22 that says, if a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord and it does not come true, this is not what the Lord has spoken. And that's because what God says must come true. Right. Um, and, and this is a litmus test. And it's very interesting. Um, if the prophets we have today or so-called prophets we had today lived in the Old Testament, they'd all be stoned to death. And, mm-hmm. and, and I use that word all intentionally. Um, But let me just give a couple examples of some of the things we've seen, uh, and and these are some that most people will be familiar with. Uh, We'll start with Kenneth Copeland. Um, He's in the prosperity gospel under the broader umbrella of the charismatic church, often gives what he would call prophetic words or prophecies without specifically claiming to be a prophet. It's the same thing. Um, in March, uh, March 30th of 2020, and this has not aged well, um, right. he executed judgment against COVID. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, he claimed to be in the office of the prophet in that moment, executed judgment against COVID and Satan, and basically declared an end to it. That was March the 30th, 2020. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are two years later. That's I mean, right. there's just no room uh, for,
1: right, for any debate there. Another one. Oh, this one is e- even. Before you get to that, let me, let me address real quick the Kenneth Copeland one. Not yeah. only did it not come true, but even if you were to think biblically, all disease that hits the earth comes by the hand of God. Actually, right. Uh, I mean, especially in the Old Testament uh, context, uh, the Mosaic uh, covenant, the promises given to the Israelites were that if you disobey, I'm going to bring uh, famine and plagues upon the land. And if you understand that God is fully sovereign over all things, He is even sovereign over COVID. Um, not not saying that uh, that that He is the author of sin or that uh, that He's the one that uh, created the, the, the virus, but it was by His sovereign hand that. Either man or, or evil, however it came about, um, that that virus came about upon us. So, if you're going to pronounce judgment, it's not judgment upon a virus that God himself is sovereign over, um, but really it's more of a prophecy as to when God is going to lift it. And and it's, biblically speaking, plagues typically come and, and they go. Um, on the basis of repentance of a nation in the Old Testament context. And the New Testament context, um, we don't even have specific examples of that. Um, So, it's, it's really even the language and the way that Kenneth Copeland is going about it it just doesn't match up with what the scriptures say
0: yeah and, and that's something that you find consistent right to, to claim that your modern day prophet your theology has to be broken in a whole lot of places including the sovereignty of god and, and let me let me just go back to an old testament um you know fifty thousand uh view above ground that we get to kind of see god's sovereignty behind the scenes is the book of job uh, i i mean i i love no. the book of job because it it we have a big God, and we get to see God working in his creation in, in ways that we don't uh, in other books, uh, in, in the book of Job. But let me just read a little bit of this. So, if, if you'll be familiar, familiar with it if you're listening, right? So, um, the, uh, Satan's wandering to and fro, and the angels come uh, to uh, God, and Satan's with them, and God prompts Satan and says, well, what are you doing? Right. He says, you know, wandering to and fro. And God is the one that says, well, have you considered my servant Job? Now, that's important. Right. Um, Job wasn't on Satan's radar, as far as we know. Now, I'm going to skip down and just just listen to this. Um, And so this is a conversation between uh, God and Satan. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? By the way, this is in Job chapter one and verse uh, six here, Um, verse seven. Uh, have you considered my servant Job for there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan said to the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but reach out your hand now and touch all that he has. He will certainly curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not reach out and put your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. There's a whole lot of good theology in here. Um, But I just want to point out the the fact that um, a little bit after this, um, Satan is allowed to touch Job's physical body but not kill him. And so it is Satan's power that causes physical boils and sickness. On Job. That is under the sovereignty of God, under the direction of God, God being without sin. And so modern day prophets would be, you know, casting out those sores and things like that when all of this is ultimately to fulfill God's purpose in Job's life. And so effectively, they would be fighting against god himself um and so uh, you've said well that doesn't mean that uh, god's happy about sickness and and that uh, sin comes from god we should never say that think no. that believe that but we do have to understand god's sovereignty in these things and we have to understand that well we just don't understand all of what's going on so no. here's kenneth copeland uh prophesying the end of covid right so back mm-hmm. to prophecy um march the 30th we're two years later so you see where that went it was very interesting because a couple days uh after his initial uh quote-unquote prophecy they had a um conference that they did online where apparently he blew away um he he actually physically blew into a microphone like uh Mm -hmm. he, he blew away with the wind of god he said Covid forever. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, two years ago. So, so that's one. Here's another one. TB Joshua. TB Joshua is well known around the world. Um, uh, an African self-professed prophet. Here's an interesting one. Um, in uh, April of. 20 uh, april the 28th of 2020 uh tb joshua decided he was going to pray and fast on a mountain until the coronavirus ended and he was not going to eat until quote the enemy is defeated wow let me just tell you he's still living (laughs) (laughs) um so not only did he pull that stunt but he also prophesied previously that it would just end March the twenty seventh, he gave a specific date. Mm. It would end March the 20th. Now these are like well known, popular guys, right? March the twenty seventh, twenty twenty. He said coronavirus is going to be over. Okay, well here we are. Um, now l- later on, so obviously he got caught on that, and him being popular, he got some flack for that. Um, now this is very interesting. He did a TV interview uh, just a little bit afterwards. And he actually blamed um, his false prophecy on the Holy Spirit. He actually blamed the Holy wow. Spirit. Um, he, he said that he was just giving the message as the Holy Spirit gave to him. Wow. So, in other words, the Holy Spirit lied to him. <laughs> right. And had him lie to all of us. I, th- there's so many things wrong with that.
1: Yeah. And, and we, I've, we've said it before when it comes to the attributes of God. I'm going to change lanes for just a quick moment, but this this ties back. We've said this before, that a proper understanding of the attributes of God will protect you from all kinds of heresy. And this is one of those perfect examples, because one of the things that we know is true about God is that He is true, right? God is true. Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And He says, God the Father is true, and your word is truth. So, we, we know that God's word is perfect and it's true. To claim that the Holy Spirit gave a lie, that's I I would say that's blasphemy. Um, that's that's attributing to God something that's not true about him. So, he, he's guilty of blasphemy to to say that. And and usually what what most prophets do, and I've heard this before as well, is that most prophets say that, well, the prophets for today, they're, they're not going to prophesy with 100% accuracy. And I've even heard people put actual numbers on it, that it's going to be more like 60% or 75%. Yeah. You know, different people have heard different kinds of numbers. So, as long as they get a certain percentage correct, mm-hmm. well, then you're okay. Well, that's, that's not the way Old Testament prophets operated under. I mean, that passage we just read out of Deuteronomy 18 said, if anything that he says does not come to pass, then you know that he is not one of mine. Now, there have been some theologians, and, and I think Wayne Grudem is part of this group, and I have great respect uh, for Wayne Grudem in many ways, but I strongly disagree with him on his position of prophets uh, for today. Wayne Grudem does push the idea that New Testament prophets didn't operate uh, like Old Testament prophets, that apostles were really the equivalent of Old Testament prophets, and and New Testament prophets were something less than that. Well, I, I would disagree with that. And if we are in a situation where a true spokesperson of God could actually tell a lie or say something that doesn't come true, Mm -hmm. then I would submit to you that it is nearly impossible for us to be able to distinguish what's truly coming from God or what's not. Fortunately, we have a perfect word. We have a perfect standard to go to. We have a book that God has provided us with that is the gold standard. That's the noble Bereans who examine the scriptures daily to see if the things that Paul said was so. So, we can go to that. And just as a reminder, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 says, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise himself as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. And so, the only way we can discern the works of Satan and his demons when they look like us has to be according to the truth. And so, if prophets um, are in a situation where not everything they say is true Then we're not in a situation To be able to discern Whether they're truly prophets or not And that's just not biblical
0: Yeah, and you know And I think the point is The the scripture makes it very clear Right, it makes it clear That one, they are a spokesperson Thus says the Lord That never changes in scripture um, So, I, I mean, a, as you said I also have a huge appreciation For Grudem um, it, We used a lot of his material Studying at Masters In the Charismatic Theology courses He's got a lot of of other really good works, and I agree with you in this area. I think he's just got it wrong because there's no change in Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament um, Mm -hmm. concerning the nature of prophecy. And and so, if it is God speaking through man and God's very word, um, then… It has to be accurate. And and we have these very clear passages, right? I mean, this is one of the fundamental um, principles of biblical interpretation is when you have uh, passages that are maybe um, less clear, you you use passages that are more clear to help interpret those when, when they can be related to one another. And so here we have clear passages that say things like, if they're wrong in any way, they're not for me. And even the under penalty of death. Um, that ought to that ought to help us understand the serious nature of um, prophesying wrongly, right? It yeah. it was no light thing in the Old Testament uh, because you are speaking for God, and to do so um, wrongly, right, carried that yeah. penalty. I mean, you mentioned the the passage earlier. Uh, about God not being able to lie, right? So, as Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor son of a man that he should repent. Um, it, it just, God cannot lie. And so, if someone says, thus says the Lord, um, or they're prophesying, that's effectively what they're saying, then it has to be 100% yeah. accurate uh, in, in every detail. And it is in scripture, And there are, are, now it's interesting, uh, we started in Deuteronomy, um, uh, if you go a a little back to Deuteronomy 13, there's an interesting passage here, Um, it it says, one through five, let me just read that, it says, if a prophet or a dreamer Mm -hmm. of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder comes true, concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods, whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. Why do I bring that up? Even if you perceived something to be true, that that happened right um but we we live in a world if you throw enough darts in a dark room at a dartboard you're going to hit the board at some stage um even Mm -hmm. if you perceive something to come true i mean here we are a passage that's saying even if it's something miraculous right it's the lord testing you to make sure that you obey his commandments his way now uh he's talking about going after false gods but the point is here is that even if they could do something miraculous, because there is yeah. a spiritual power in this world, <clears throat> uh, we tend to not talk about that too much, especially in our circles. But mm-hmm. Satan does have power in
1: this world. Yeah.
0: Um, and a- anyone that's you know been around the world and traveled a little bit, you see it sometimes a little bit more or hear of things outside of the US. But uh, Satan certainly does have power. And the point here is that w- we were never supposed to follow prophets. Um, we, we always followed the word of God, right? And that, that was what these prophets were meant to be bringing. And so even if you did hear what you thought was a prophecy and it came true, um, but it's out of line with everything else scripture teaches, no. Um, and this is where we go back to understanding who God is, his character, his attributes. Um, even if COVID ended in a general time frame, one of these prophets got right, you can look at how they gave the prophecy and their life and their ministry mm-hmm. and come to the conclusion that even if that coincided and kind of lined up, that they are utterly outside of the realm of biblical Christianity. God is not going to give heretics words to give his people. Right. Mm-hmm. Even if we did have prophets today, uh, I think it's John McCarthy who often says it, it, something to the effect of even if even if uh, God did do miracles, you don't think he'd give miracles to the guys with the worst
1: theology around. Mm-hmm. Right. And so. Yeah. yeah, yeah and I think right. of the example, the example of um, Balaam. I mean, Balaam was a, a false prophet. And yet God did use him for a short time to bring about true prophecy, and yet he was still executed as a false prophet who led um, Israel astray. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of false prophets, you shall know them by their fruit. We we know that. That's a very familiar saying. And I often say that when pointing out some of the um, problematic fruit that we see coming from various individuals. But that ties back to Matthew chapter seven. I'm sure you can find similar ideas ever elsewhere, but Matthew chapter seven. Of course, we are very familiar with the statement. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? So, this is acknowledging that there are people who call Jesus Christ Lord and and are saying, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles? So, this is acknowledging that there are a group of people who even by their works, uh, appear to be doing the works of God. And what does Jesus say? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, that's from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. But if you back up, that… Really, that section, I would trace back up to verse 13 where it talks about the narrow and the wide gates, but in between the narrow and the wide gates and in between this uh, statement about um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, in between, that's where you have, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So, every tree bears good fruit and the bad tree bears bad fruit. And going back to that passage you just read from Deuteronomy chapter 13, was it, verses one through five? In that case, talking about, hey, look, if someone says, let's go after these false gods, guess what? You already know that that's a false prophet. That's bad fruit, right? And so, similarly, when we evaluate prophets, part of the fruit is what they say. So I mean if if someone for instance says that Jesus Christ is not the only way to heaven or that there are multiple other ways from he- to, to heaven, or that you don't have to listen to the word of God, but you just need to listen to the words of a of a certain so-called prophet. Um, that's bad fruit. And then, of course, you can look at their lifestyle and and um, how they're living their lives. Is is it a moral lifestyle? Um, how are they um, responding to uh, events or or you know biblical correction and all those kinds of things? Those are all the kinds of fruit that we look for in people who are truly men of God. And and when I say men of God, I'm using that in a more broad term, not just prophets, but people who actually represent God. What's the difference then between these who call themselves prophets but are imperfect versus people like you or me who are pastors, and we will be the first to tell you that we are imperfect. So, we're not perfect. So, why are we legitimate and they're not? Well, it's because we don't claim to be prophets, the, the, the claim of being a prophet means that when you bring prophecy, it's like you said, there were several hundreds of times throughout the Old Testament where prophets said, thus says the Lord, or the Lord says. And when they said that, whatever followed had to be on point. It had to be exact. It had to be precise. It had to truly reflect what God said or truly predict what God was going to bring to pass. And so, there was no margin for error there. And by the time you get to through, through the Old Testament history, the Israelites could look back and they knew who their prophets were, and they knew who were not prophets. So, it was very clear. And even after 400 years of prophetic silence from the end of the Old Testament to the New Testament, you know, they had a a long period of no prophets, and they knew it. But then the moment John the Baptist comes on the scene, the moment moment Jesus Christ comes on the scene, it does not take very long, folks, for them to know that a prophet is in their midst. So, the the prophets were very, uh, I would say, very easy to discern. For for Jews who understood uh, their yeah. word, even those that may not have followed, um, but for us, it, it's just a, a whole lot of confusion, and it doesn't make sense that things would be so much more confusing now compared to uh, the biblical times described either in the Old or the New Testaments.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know, today we've got you know tens of thousands of people who claim to get prophetic. Dreams and visions and words and things like that. Um, and oftentimes they contradict each other. I mean, it, it is not difficult to do a 10 minute Google search on, uh, you know, prophecies on Trump, prophecies on COVID, prophecies on pick whatever you want and find contradictory information. Uh, and, and so we would say, well, so is, is God contradicting himself? You know, is he telling one person one thing, telling someone else uh, something totally different? Uh, absolutely not. Um, and, and so, but I think fundamentally, when we understand prophet, whether someone or not says the words, thus saith the Lord, to, to say you're giving a prophecy or to be a prophet is to say that. Um, and, and so, it would have to be absolutely true. And if you were even wrong once, right? If we're going to be obedient to scripture in the Old Testament, even if they're wrong even once, that's it. You, you no. never look to that person again. Um, Right, They are false prophet. You're done. So even if we just obeyed scripture uh, in that area, it would eliminate a bunch of of, of issues. So here's an interesting um, quote from the New York Times. The New York Times ran an article in uh, February of 2021, so last year. And it was on this subject, which is interesting that made it into the New York Times. But listen to this. Uh, And I quote, Prophecy is a facet of the fast-growing charismatic Christian movement, which has an estimated half a billion followers worldwide and is characterized in part by the belief that the gifts of the Spirit, which also include speaking in tongues and supernatural healing, continue into the present day rather than being an artifact of biblical times. I mean, this is the mm. New York Times recognizing wow. that there is a growing mm. um, uh, interest in prophecy and, and these things. And it was a whole article. Uh, I'll refer to a few other things and articles would go on. But, um, but why, why is that? Well, I, I, think, I think largely in part, uh, there, there's a lot of just innocent naivety and ignorance involved. Um, I think our culture has a lot to do with it. We live in a very emotionally driven culture, and this is yeah. what drives the charismatic church. It, you don't have to like that, but that's yeah. just true. Um, emotion drives everything in the charismatic church. Don't believe me? Um, go into a charismatic church, uh, turn the music down, sing acapella, a few acapella hymns, turn the lights on, and the church will disappear. Right? Uh, Just read out of the Bible. It's emotionally driven, uh, which comes from our culture because our culture is emotionally driven. Right? And so if it feels good, if it feels right, it's also humanistic, it is man centric uh, theology. It's all about what God does for you. Um, I mean, God effectively becomes uh, Santa Claus. I mean, in a lot of ways, right? He's just bringing you all these good gifts all the time. Um, and so, anyway, so the point is that even the New York Times recognizes there's this increase in um, interest in prophecy and the prophetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, we we can go back to Paula White in the White House. That was a disaster mm-hmm. uh, for Christianity. Uh, I also think it was a sign of God's judgment. Um, I think it was a wake-up call to the church. I mean, to put someone in a, a, an official kind of capacity as a spiritual leader um, who doesn't belong there in multiple uh, ways um, and to be a prosperity gospel person should have woken the church up and said, wait, we we need to deal with stuff here um, because it just kind of perpetuates that idea. L- l- let me give one other example, uh, Bill Johnson. Um, a-, a lot of guys will understand will know who Bill Johnson is. He's the pastor of a church in Redding, California, uh, Bethel. Um interestingly enough they often give prophetic words Um, he won't say he's a prophet Uh, at least i've not heard him uh, say that typically they'll couch it in language uh, saying i have a prophetic word or whatever but it's really interesting because they're really big into the healing and again remember um, theology is rarely just broken in major places in just one place yeah so they're really big on healing rooms and things like this Um, and this is just a just to go back to that Deuteronomy passage and and demonstrate how messed up everything else is and to say okay probably God's not entrusting anything to these people. Um so they have healing rooms. Well what's a healing room? A healing room supposedly is you can go in and you can get prayer and God miraculously heals everyone. Um it's a sham but that's what they are. They're all over the country. Uh when COVID hit, they closed they down, down their yeah. healing rooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Just just think about that. Right. Right,
1: right. You would think that that's the perfect time to be able to prove that the healing rooms work, but they shut down out of concern for COVID. You know, and at that point, at that point, it wasn't because of government regulations or anything like that. They they were um, they were concerned, and and so they shut down, and they even had signs that say because of COVID nineteen. So it was um, very clear, black and black and white.
0: They didn't want people to get sick coming to their healing rooms. Yeah. Right. Now, and what was really interesting is uh, about a week later, they opened up their healing rooms online. Mm -hmm. So you can't get healing in person. God doesn't do, you you may get sick. There's no miracle in person, but if you go online, you can. And and so it just goes to show the other areas that these guys are often just very off in. Um, and, And you will not find someone who claims to operate in the quote prophetic um or to be a profit that that doesn't have these other
1: major areas with issues you just won't find that out there yeah, you know, you, um, you've you said a lot of, uh, you've made a lot of interesting and good observations about uh, this movement. And for those in the audience that think that uh, maybe we're just mudslinging and uh, we're <clears throat> taking the worst of the bunch, um, actually, what Nathaniel has said has has been very visibly and observably true, um, really across uh, basically the, the entire movement. And uh, let me give you an example, when I was uh, in seminary, I had to, uh, I, I took a class on, Uh, special exegesis class on first corinthians 12 13 and 14 and that's where you have probably the most instructions about spiritual gifts find uh, showing up in those three chapters well one of our assignments is that we had to uh, read a book from uh, someone on the other side and i picked up a book from rt kendall now who is rt kendall rt kendall is actually the person who followed up after um uh, martin lloyd jones um at uh, at his church became the pastor in, in his footsteps well Strangely enough, R.T. Kendall, um, he's a charismatic. He believes in the gifts. Um, He's also reformed. He calls himself a reformed believer. And when he wrote this book, and the book is called Holy Fire, you can look into it into yourself. And that title, Holy Fire, was very deliberate because that was shortly after Strange Fire had come out. So, he writes Holy Fire, and he tells you, point blank, that really he's trying to bridge two sides together that he believes that there are good and faithful brethren on both sides and he wants to bring them together and help them to kind of close that gap which which by itself is it's not a it's it's a nice sounding motive but as he explains the two different sides he even says that the charismatic side are guilty of not knowing the scriptures. He says that. He says they are guilty of not knowing the scriptures. And this is coming from someone who supports the charismatic movement. On the reform side, he says they do know the scriptures, but they don't embrace these gifts. And so, he he sees a kind of a middle ground where there's a middle ground where they're reformed and then they know the scriptures, but they also embrace these gifts. But think about that for a moment. Why would God provide spiritual gifts such as prophecy, to a group of people that don't prioritize actually knowing his word. That doesn't make sense. And, and it also explains why so much of what we observe to be prophecy doesn't match the biblical pattern that we see. And we've already talked about the fact that they're always to, to be um, factual and, and correct in everything that they see from God. It's got to be right on point. It's not based upon a percentage or anything like that. But then in addition to that, when you just look at the number of the prophecies that are brought by The prophets that we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I mean, the prophecies that are brought about, they're major in scale. They tie directly into God's redemptive plan. They often point forward to the Messiah, either His first coming or His second coming, or or they're calling people to repentance on the basis of them breaking the law, as it is in the Old Testament, we see so, so many of the prophets doing. But a lot of the prophets, when they speak today, you actually don't even need to know the scriptures to understand their prophecies. And, and they're they're not on the same scale. They're not tied into God's plan of redemption. They're often trivial uh, by comparison. So, there's so many ways that you can take a look at this and see that it just doesn't line up with the pattern, and they're tied into churches that are not biblically sound. There's a lot of bad fruit coming from out of there, and, and that's why it's easy to reject it. Now, hear what we're saying and what we're not saying. Because I'm not saying that there's a specific verse that you can go to that says, these gifts ended. Now, some people will argue that from some verses out of 1 Corinthians 13. I'm not of the opinion that they're as crystal clear, um, but I, I would say just look at the pattern just look at the pattern of of these gifts or, or these offices as exercised throughout scripture and ask yourself, do these really match the pattern? And I would argue with you that they don't. So, you, you have these three sides, and if you're on one of the extremes, so if you're on the cessationist side, then then you say that um, these gifts have automatically ceased, you're not even going to entertain it. And on the other extreme, you say that they do continue, um, but uh, you, you would also have to say from church history that they weren't really prevalent until the 1900s. And then you have a group in the middle, the open but cautious. And many of them, to their credit, will often tell you that they haven't experienced these gifts themselves, uh, or they haven't met a prophet that has been true in everything that he has said. Um, So, they're open but cautious. They're not totally embracing it, but they believe that these things could continue. There's another category that I would, um, a little bit on the cessationist side, but kind of what Paul Washer said one time, he calls himself a practical cessationist. He's not saying that there's a specific verse that says that all these things will cease, but it's like what we're saying. If, If you're using the scriptures to determine whether these things are biblical then you have to conclude that, no, these things don't match the patterns that that we see in the Bible. And for that reason, he calls himself a practical sensationist. And that's probably where I would be most comfortable putting myself as well. not saying that God can't use prophets. We know that in the book of Revelation, there are two prophets that come in the future and whatnot. What exactly they do and say, that's a whole other discussion. But I just don't believe that what we've seen matches the patterns that we see in Scripture
0: yeah, and and I think it's important here uh, to, to to maybe let's define some of those terms a little bit. So when we talk about someone being a cessationist, what what we mean is that the miraculous sign gifts have have ceased. Um, yeah. It does not mean that we do not believe in miracles. I'm a cessationist, right? Um, right? It doesn't mean that we don't believe in miracles, but those miraculous sign gifts, which we would say, were primarily for the purpose of the foundation of the church and to authenticate the apostles yeah. and their apostolic message, the gospel going off, um, that once that was um, laid down, the foundations of the church with the apostles, those things ceased. And we see this in Scripture, which we've talked about. Um, as you go on past the the, the book of Acts, you, you start not seeing – um, a lot of these sign gifts operating anymore. You don't see it in the text anymore. And you see people who previously operated in these things not operating them in, in, in anymore. And so, for instance, Paul, right? Uh, Paul leaves someone sick. Um, he tells Timothy, uh, who, who who is it? I can't remember. He leaves him in Miletus. Um, a- anyway, uh, he leaves someone in, in Miletus sick. He doesn't heal them right? He leaves them and goes on without them. Uh, he tells Timothy to take a little bit of wine for his sickness, for his stomach. He doesn't heal them. And so, it's not a denial uh, that miracles happen or even still happen. It's just to say that those miraculous sign gifts served a specific purpose. That purpose was fulfilled, and so we no longer see those. Um, the other hand, uh, the, the charismatics, um, we, we would say those are, uh, it, we will put those in their own category, right? Um, it, they believe in all of the gifts. Um, the problem with the charismatic group of people is the gifts don't even function the way they did in the New Testament, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so when you think of prophecy, they believe in prophecy that has error, Prophecy that can be wrong. That's totally foreign to anything we see in the Bible. Um, they believe often in the gift of tongues that is not a miraculous human language. That's not what we see in the text, right? You right. go to the text in the book of Acts. Yeah. Um, Acts chapter says,
1: 2, day of Pentecost. Yep.
0: yep, day of Pentecost. There are people from all over the world. And what do they say? They say, how is it that these men, being from this area, are speaking to us each in our own language, yep,
1: yep, right,
0: and and then they go on to name, you know, all of the regions, Mesopotamia and Phrygia and all of Pamphylia, all those areas. Um, and so it's clearly a, a a known human language. And so the charismatic group, uh, they would say that those gifts still function, but the gifts don't function today at all the way we see in scripture. And then that middle group you're kind of talking about, which, which you know, we would call continuationists. I mean, these are guys who we would, uh, they're oftentimes reformed-ish. So you think of the John Pipers, you think of Wayne Grudem, um, some of those guys who would say the gifts have continued a lot of the open but cautious are in that middle group. Um and and but a lot of those guys would say, well, we believe they still function, but they have to look exactly like they look in the scripture. Um and I think the ones who are more honest, uh like I I haven't I haven't kept up with John Piper recently, but um I know he would often say things like the gift of tongues uh God gave it was a miraculous language. You can't make it up. You can't learn it. You can't force it. That, uh, although he believes it still exists, he's what we would call a functional cessationist. Yeah. Um, he's honest enough with the text to say, I believe it exists, but it can only exist
1: this way. Right. And he's prayed to, to have that gift, and then he'll be the first to tell you that he's never been given it.
0: Right. Whereas in the charismatic group, um, they believe that you can be taught and trained. And some parts of it uh, would even say that you it's an no. evidence of. You don't have the Holy Spirit unless you can speak in tongues. Um, So so different groups of people uh, that we put those in. But the point is we have to let Scripture define these things. Um, And so when we're looking at to go back to prophets, when we're looking at a prophet, um, we have to first say, okay, what is a prophet defined biblically? That eliminates most of what we see today. In fact, everything no. that we no. see today, no. right? Um, because nothing in the New Testament, and, and this is where you, we have theologians who, to be quite frank, Wayne Grudem is far smarter than I am, um, mm-hmm. but he's making an argument from silence uh, b- because nowhere do we see or is there any indication that there's a change in the expectation of accuracy in prophecy, Uh, going from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Uh, In fact, everything Jesus said from the Father was absolutely true. Um, Everything that anyone spoke with authority from God in the New Testament was absolutely true. Uh, So we don't see any room for, well, maybe I just got it wrong. Here's another point, by the way, uh, on that issue. You don't see anyone in Scripture saying, hmm, I'm not really sure... If that was God speaking to me or if it wasn't God speaking to me, I'm just not sure. Am I going to communicate my own thoughts or was that God? Like you don't see when God speaks, it's been clear, right? No. Um, all throughout. And so all of a sudden we get to the New Testament and, and guys think God speaks to them, uh, to them in riddles and ambiguous ways and expects them to sort of decipher secret codes in order to get it right, to get it to God's people. Again, we, we never see that in scripture, It's been God communicating with his prophet saying, go tell people this, go give this message, go proclaim uh, this thing. And it's been clear. Um, And you have guys like, well, Jonah, uh, he just didn't want to do it, but there was no no confusion as to what the message was, right? He just didn't want to give it. Uh, But we don't see that today. It's, It's always in the shadows. Um, yeah. So, totally different. Um, and apostles, we haven't hit on apostles, we're running out of time, but let's just hit on that real quick. Are there modern-day apostles?
1: <laughs> this can be a much larger conversation, but <clears throat> yeah, the, the answer I would say is absolutely not. Um, so, what are apostles? The, the the word used for apostles literally means messenger, it's just someone who is sent a uh, sent one and uh, there are those who are sent it could be sent by anyone um, that could be called an apostle because they're essentially a sent one a messenger um, but then there are specifically apostles of jesus christ and that's a very specific office those who are sent uh, by jesus christ and and that would be the uh, the original 12 disciples minus judas um, and then you add on um, Matthias, uh, and as well as Paul. And then I think Barnabas uh, ends up give, being uh, given that uh, title as well. So, the apostles are the ones that are directly sent uh, by Jesus Christ. Um, and, and so, those are a very specific function and office. And we know that what they also share in common is that um, for uh, for especially the original uh, eleven, they witnessed um, that the works of Jesus Christ. They they actually witnessed in Matthias would would be the same, and uh, Paul witnessed it in a different way. Um, he was taught directly by Jesus Christ uh, from heaven. He was blinded directly by Jesus Christ, and I believe he was uh, he, he was disciple for a number of years before he started going on on missionary journeys, and and so there are qualifications and and that. Uh, there are signs and wonders uh, that are tied to apostles, that they performed a lot of the similar signs and wonders that Jesus Christ was uh, seen performing. And, and this, again, this this lines up with um, with the history of the Bible, because unlike what most people might think, much of biblical history… Uh, did not have people that were bringing signs and wonders. Yeah. Um, there are two primary periods in the Old Testament, and um, each of those two periods had two generations. So, the first major period would have been Moses and Joshua. You had Moses uh, bringing signs and wonders uh, from God as he's delivering the Israelites out of Egypt um, and then parting the Red Sea, going through Mount Sinai, and the, the wilderness and then after him you have joshua and joshua you see a lot of the same kind of similar signs and wonders as they're going into the promised land uh to to conquer it for instance you you see the jordan river the water of the jordan river being piled up um like, like a heap and and so you see those signs and wonders and then from there um it's mostly absent until you get to elijah and then you have Elijah bringing signs and wonders, and then after him, his successor was Elisha. Elisha brought a lot of the same signs and wonders, and after that, it mostly disappeared until you get into what the old, the end of the Old Testament, really in the New Testament, the gospel books, you got Jesus Christ, and then you have his disciples uh, doing that as well. Um, so, signs and wonders were very much a part of um, the, the apostles and what they did. But as we mentioned, just like Jesus Christ, these signs and wonders were meant to point to the truth that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, to, to legitimize or provide credibility to the gospel message that was being proclaimed. And, and I think one of the most powerful, um, I think, testimonies to, to the fact that apostles have ceased, at least in my eyes. Is that when Paul writes to Timothy, his final letter in Second Timothy, you know this is the one who's going to carry the torch forward from Paul. This is this is his successor. This is the one who's going to uh, going to step forth and and continue on Paul's uh, ministry. But his most his his most strongly emphasized commandment in that letter comes in chapter four, and it's basically this: preach the word. Yeah. And so I believe apostles and prophets. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 talks about um, how Jesus Christ gave to the church some as some as apostles some as prophets some as evangelists pastors and teachers and and so a lot of people refer to that verse and say see those two positions are still here well I would argue that those two positions were used to provide the foundation to the church and a good foundation only needs to be laid once and then from there you're really just you're you're really just um, operating off of the fruits of the apostles and prophets to carry forth that ministry and in this Case, it's the word of God. Now, do I have a verse I can point to to say that that's exactly what it is? No, but when we look back at church history and look at, uh, for instance, how Paul addressed Timothy, and when you look at the progress of how things um, uh, were developing as you're getting towards the end of the New Testament, that is what we observe. Um, yeah, and and yeah. from that point, we haven't seen that pattern be repeated. Yeah,
0: yeah, those are good points, and and I, I want to end on a couple verses uh, that I, I I think just help shore that up a little bit. But let me just m- m- make a point and say I no one really believes in apostles today. And I know instantly uh, some people will say, no, no, I I believe in apostles, so-and-so. Let let me prove to you. uh, Again, Come, I was in the charismatic church for a long time. Um, I've met most of these big-name guys, and I I, I was a nobody in the charismatic church, but you you can get around. Um, No one really believes in apostles, and this is how I can prove that to you, because when we talk about... Apostles, we're, what everyone is talking about is not apostolos, not just a sent one in general, um, but specifically Paul, Peter, you know, these guys, right? Um, they spoke authoritatively for the entire church. Mm-hmm. The whole church is meant to submit to them. I don't know anyone in the charismatic church that instantly submits to anyone that says they're apostle. No one does that. Mm-hmm. That's because you don't really believe they are apostles mm-hmm. or what you think is an apostle has no authority, which isn't a biblical yeah. apostle. Um, and, right. and so uh, guys in the charismatic church will often get away from that by using clever language and they'll stay and they'll say well i have an apostolic ministry mm-hmm. now that's just to say uh, i don't want to claim i'm an apostle because i have a better understanding of what that means um, but i still want to use the term it's false humility and it's manipulative um, but if someone were an apostle um, what they said would be authoritative for, the entire church every christian in every nation in every denomination period no questions asked so is that how you view an apostle if it's not then you then your understanding of apostle um needs some work but let me give you a couple passages and we'll end on those uh, and your thoughts on them brother um uh, listen these apostles who saw who walked with jesus physically personally saw his miracles even they in the end said that they have some had something that was made more sure
1: yep the prophetic right?
0: word you go to second peter says and so we have the prophetic word made more sure so even these apostles made a bigger deal out of what they had as scripture than they did all of this miraculous stuff if that's the apostles mentality shouldn't that be our mentality would be the first scripture I would point to. The second one I would point to would be Hebrews 1-2. Um, Hebrews 1-2 makes a very clear statement that God does, in fact, work through something differently now than he did in the Old Testament. Now we could debate about exactly what that means, but let me just read that passage. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways— in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son, whom appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. Well, what do we have that reflect the total teachings of His Son Jesus Christ? The scriptures. right? And so it acknowledges that God worked in different ways in different time periods, and I don't think anyone really debates that, right? We understand that. Um, And I mean, we we even mentioned today, there was a whole time period where God, they had nothing. It it was silent, right? Um, And and so now we have in Hebrews, right, in the New Testament, uh, saying that now what we have is God working through his son. And so that's the scripture. So why bother or get caught up in having to decide whether something might be, might not be from God when you have a book? Right. I mean, the Holy Spirit quite literally wrote for us a book and handed it to us and said, here is your standard for absolute truth, for everything you need for the Christian life and faith and practice to be pleasing to God. And so many people have so low view of scripture that they push the Holy Spirit's letter to us, i.e. the Bible, and go after all kind of, you know, stuff that we aren't even sure what it is, Um So I I would leave us with those two verses, thoughts, comments,
1: yeah, I would say this, this. This would be my final word, and, and those are excellent points. I agree with wholeheartedly with those points. Ultimately, the scriptures are our standard for truth. And what I would say to any Christian is that, look, um, I'm not one to hear to automatically shoot down people that call themselves a prophet, apostles, much more questionable. But just listening to them, I know that they are not who they claim to be. That's been the case for every single one that um, that I've listened to. So, what I often tell Christians is this if you simply just believe the Word of God, you will be in good hands. If you do not listen to anyone who claims to be an apostle or a prophet, and you just pay attention to what the Word of God says, you will be in good hands. But if you start to listen to those who call themselves apostles and prophets, and often at the expense of actually reading and understanding Scripture, you are going to be on dangerous ground. Um, you're going to be led astray. Um, at best, you're going to be useless for the spiritual war. Um, you're you're going to be used to lead others astray, and, and that's just not the place that you want to be in. I think of Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says that uh, that the man who is blessed, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Just focus upon knowing understanding, carrying out, and sharing the Word of God. You do that, and you're going to be in great hands.
0: Amen and amen. So, when you get your Bible fully understood and fully memorized, then we can talk about other things. But until then… Just focus on what we have in the scriptures. So, thanks for joining us. I hope that this has been helpful to you. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device. Or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.